Welcome to the Command Post Podcast, powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Director of Training. I am pleased today to welcome Tate Preston, the Health and Safety Manager at James B. Beam Distilling Company, to the podcast today. Tate is currently the Health and Safety Manager at the Claremont Distillery for the James B. Beam Distilling Company, where he has been for the past five years. Prior to his work at the JBB Distilling Company, Tate worked for several industry-leading food manufacturers where he worked in various roles with responsibilities over health, safety, training, and emergency preparedness and response. Tate has also had the pleasure of being a firefighter for several volunteer fire departments in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Tate received his Master of Science in Safety, Security, and Emergency Management from Eastern Kentucky University in 2014. I'm grateful to have Tate Preston on the podcast today. Let's get it started. Okay, Tate Preston, welcome to the Command Post podcast today. So happy to have you with us. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really exciting. Glad to be able to join you. All right, it's great. It's great to have you here. And uh, you've got a story to share with us because we're going to be talking about something pretty unique, right? Kind of an industrial, commercial, health and safety fire ah. department that you know most of us that are came up through the traditional ranks in a, either a career or a volunteer fire fire department, we may have some inkling about what it's all about, but it's a different environment. It's a unique response area. It's a unique area of responsibility um, that you that you are in charge of. And so um, we'll want you to share that a little bit later on with our with our listeners and our viewers. But but first, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got to this point um, to be in charge of the health and safety at, the, at Jim Beam and where you're located, all of that good stuff. Okay. Yeah, cool. So um, I guess my journey really started. I, I grew up in uh, far Northeastern Kentucky, not, not far from the, uh, you know, off the banks of the Ohio river, you know, near Huntington, West Virginia. And um, you know, when I was, after I got done playing high school football and, and all those things, I um, decided to join my local volunteer fire department. Um, and I volunteered there and, and got involved in some pay by call departments and, and really just started out in the, you know, first response area, like a lot of people do. Um, and I ended up, uh, was going to, you know, community college and, and graduated and, and went on to Eastern Kentucky University, actually um, studied criminal justice. So uh, I wanted to be a police officer for, for a long time. And uh, when I graduated with a degree in criminal justice, I, you know, I really decided that that probably wasn't the best fit for me. Um, and I had some mentors at EKU that, um, you know, that, did safety for a living. And, and I really didn't know what that was about. Um, but they had a degree program that focused on um, safety, security, and emergency management. And uh, there were some guys uh, that I was with, worked with on the fire department that did, you know, health and safety, more of the technical side of things. And, um, you know, I, I got a graduate assistantship there and, and started working, uh, you know, through that program and, and really found a passion, you know, I like, you know, putting the wet stuff on the red stuff at my local fire department and then really like the occupational health piece, you know, being able to um, try to make places where people work better. Um, you know, uh, it was really important to me to, to be able to do that. And so when I graduated, I actually went to work uh, in uh, the meatpacking industry. So uh, oh, wow. I was a second shift assistant safety manager uh, and did occupational health for um, one of the largest meat producers in the world. Um, and then I went to work for one of the largest uh, cooking candy manufacturers 
in the world and, and help support open up a, a facility for them. And, and I was lucky enough, uh, you know, Jim Beam, now the James B. Beam Distilling Company, uh, had a spot come open uh, about five, six years ago. And I um, was really able to, you know, come into the company and, and work my way up to being over health and safety for a site. And, um, you know, really, you know, been blessed to be here ever since. It's, it's an amazing company and a great organization. And, and I get to, to do a little bit of everything. So we get have a fire department on site and I get to put on my, my safety police hat, if you will, and uh, support some of the security stuff on the, on the side with our security manager. So I uh, really kind of get to be the, the jack of all trades, which, you know, if you talk to any fireman, that's what we're about, right? Solving problems and being involved in a little bit of everything. So 100%. Yeah. So where, so where are you located at? Does Jim Beam have multiple sites or is there just one central location? So, yeah, so uh, we do have multiple sites. Um, so I'm at our Claremont campus, about 45 minutes south of uh, Lowell, Kentucky. Um, you know, we, we are a large company. Uh, you know, we have uh, multiple sister brands and, and brother brands and uh, Maker's Mark and Habiki and, and Japan and, and Canadian Club and Cruzan Rum. So, um, there, there are a, a lot of different plants uh, here in Kentucky. Uh, we have the Claremont facility, our Boston distillery, and then our Frankfurt facility. Um, just a okay. nice little, just to show how big uh, we are in, in the industry. There's about 10 million barrels of bourbon in the state of Kentucky. And uh, the Jim Beam sites represent a little bit over two and a half million of those barrels. So um, we, we are the largest bourbon producer in the world. No kidding. Okay. So I'm a bit of a scotch drinker, so I'm going to learn a little bit more about bourbon today. Okay. Well, we, we also have some some great uh, brother and sister companies that, that do scotch too. So, um, nice. it, you know, some of, some of my best friends in the industry are actually over in Scotland that, that I get to talk to uh, quite often. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, That's great. Great, great, great group of people. It's great industry. Even our competitors, we're, we're all pretty close and uh, especially when it comes to the health and safety piece of, of things, because uh, especially around here in Bardstown, uh, Claremont area, there's uh, some something like 11 distilleries within 16 miles of the lo local city. So um, we all work together or live next to each other. So we want to make sure everybody goes home and, and is safe and, and good for our community. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm happy to talk scotch with you. I'm happy to drink scotch with you. <laughs> okay. we, we can do a little bit of everything <laughs> well, you know what i wish you know what i wish we could do it here during the podcast this isn't joe rogan so we're no 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 pot no alcohol on this podcast at least not now <laughs> well i wish you would have warned me that before we start <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm kidding so uh you you said five to six years you've been there right five or six yep. years yep. and so share with share with everybody what's your responsibilities um how does your job compare to like you know, a chief officer in a, you know, similarly sized fire department, you know, your classic one to five station, either volunteer or career department. How does your job compare? Because I know you're well affiliated with with the fire service, obviously you with your the department you volunteer for, right? So what, um, what are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences um, between your role and what would be encountered for, you know, those of us that, you know, we're in a traditional fire department? Yeah, so you know, I would say that you know the the main portion of my role is around occupational health and safety. So I handle a lot of the um, OSHA compliance and DOT compliance. Um, 
really any of those three love letter government agencies outside of taxes. Um, you know, we, we deal with and we affiliate. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, your chief officers, your, your chiefs, you, a lot of people aren't really familiar that there's a part of the business they have to deal with, but that that's definitely um, something that I help with. And then, you know, helping support our risk management group um, with mm-hmm. the insurance and all that fun stuff is, is also, you know, part of my role. Um, but then the other piece of that is around really being our, um, or really helping to support our emergency planning, our emergency response or emergency management types of things. So not really, not only from the perspective of um, how do we respond immediately to an incident, but how are we also um, bringing in our outside resources, planning with our public sector partners, with our local fire departments and, and those types of, of things, but also identifying our private sector partners to help support, support that incident. And then how do we marry those uh, things from, um, you know, just the local response piece to also um, dealing with that inside of a corporate group, right? Because um, that that's really the biggest difference is like, if you're the fire chief, you're really the CEO and it's on, on you know, of your company. Right. Um, and so we have a company here and, and we're helping to run that and we may be responding to an emergency, but how do we communicate that that and manage that within a broader organization, a larger group? So really all of those pieces kind of go together in, in this role. So um, really fun. And, you know, it's, it's just a little bit challenging sometimes, but, um, you know, it's a it's a really cool spin of things from a, compared to like the public sector side of things. Yeah, it sounds interesting. You've got a, a wide variety of responsibilities. So not only you're very strong on the occupational safety and health, right? That's big. Um, obviously from what you explained. And then I imagine because you're, you're a for-profit company, you're a Jim Beam public traded, right? No, we're not publicly traded. So we're privately privately owned, but nonetheless, as a business, part of what they want to do is risk reduction and loss prevention. So that's a big part of, you know, what we would consider community risk reduction out in the civilian world. You're going to, you have, you know, loss reduction and um, uh, property property conservation, right? But also um, reducing reducing the risk because anything that happens at the site, and we'll talk about you know a recent incident that you had, but anything that happens at the site can disrupt productivity, which disrupts getting product out to the market. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. So it's, uh, you know, we like to, or at least I like to look at things as, you know, we, we're preventing things from happening from the beginning, right? So if, if we don't have a fire here and my fire truck sits in the station for for, you know, all year long and doesn't move, then, you know, I, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job. And um, it, that's exactly what we're doing. So, um, and, and we can talk about this as some of the outputs from the incident that we had, but it's really coming through and, and looking at what our risks are, how we mitigate that. And then, you know, we, we are a business too. So uh, right. it's not right. like we can spend all of our profits on risk mitigation, right? So we're going to do everything that we can to, uh, make sure that we're putting out a good quality product and uh, making sure that we're keeping our, our employees and our visitors and, and our consumers uh, safe. You know, uh, this this place that we're protecting is is super important to us. Um, it's the same place we've been on since we, you know, since prohibition ended. And, uh, you know, we, we welcome over 300,000 visitors a year here. Um, we've got over uh, 100 buildings that span over 500 acres. Um, you know, that house over, you know, 2 million barrels worth of whiskey across our site. So 
Uh, and that doesn't even include the 600 plus in, uh, employees that we have here that come every day and, and contractors and, and things like that. So um, making sure that we go out and we assess our risk and then we support our communities and make sure that um, we're doing the right thing to support our, our environment and, and making sure that we stay sustainable is, is super, super important. And, um, you know, that that's really a, a, probably another piece of my job that, that we didn't touch about is just really how we affect our environment uh, and making sure that, you know, uh, we support our environmental folks and, and making sure that uh, our, our water stays clean. And because that's, that's what makes Kentucky bourbon bourbon, right, is our limestone water. So we want to protect that and we want to make sure that uh, we continue to, you know, if we use it, we, we put it back as, as much as we can and, and we leave it better the way it was. So, uh, yeah. That is interesting. So 300,000 visitors, they come happier yeah. than they, they, they leave happier than they arrive, we hope. We hope, we hope. So uh, we, we have an expression here, you, you come as a friend, you leave as family. So uh, hopefully we, we see this 300,000 plus visitors uh, more than once, but uh, we've also got a, a restaurant on site, a gift shop, you can come take a tour or do some tastings or you and your friends may, may come in with some distributors and, and purchase a, a, your very own barrel um, and, and bottle it and, and take it home with you. So uh, we're really like a, a small city uh, here. You right. know, we, uh, we're a manufacturing site. And, and so if you've ever been into a traditional manufacturing site, uh, we, we handle that, we do that, but we also, you know, we, we throw concerts, we uh, have host weddings, we have uh, event venues and, and those types of things. So really uh, we have weather monitoring systems and, and station. So really it's uh, a really cool industry to be in. You get to do a little bit of everything and uh, you know, you're comparing, you know, to your local fire departments and, and things like that. We really are running, you know, a, a small little city here. Sure. So you're running. And so you mentioned too, like uh, concerts and such, you've got to put together incident action plans for those, uh, those events, right. For safety. Cause it's, you've got responsibilities as a, especially as a private entity, because the last thing you want is lawsuits due to something untoward that could potentially happen at one of those events. So I imagine that planning is pretty substantive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm lucky we've got a good team here. So between me and and the security manager and, and my boss and, and the guys and gals that work here for me, uh, we, we have uh, a lot of planning that goes into this. Uh, a lot of work with our insurance carriers and our risk management group and, um, you know, our, our third party teams. And then uh, really that that's one of the big reasons our relationships with our outside partners are, is so important, right? Whether it be from our local agencies, whether it's, you know, our local fire departments or police departments or EMSs, emergency management uh, to even um, even outside of the event pieces is, is how do we partner with our federal partners, right? What are, you know, things that we can do and uh, to support our federal partners and wonder what are things that you can do to support us because we are part of the food chain and, uh, you know, we were a huge piece of the economy here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So, um, yeah, so there, there's a ton of planning that goes into that and a lot of relationship building that really goes in to make sure that these things go off seamlessly. Well, you've got the right product to help build relationships. That's right. That's right. <laughs> for the right products. What? So 300,000 visitors, 500 acres, 600 plus employees. So how many, how many are on, how many work with you, right? How many are you, how many people are you responsible for? And I assume they, 
your your response personnel are also multi-hatted, multitasked with not just being firefighters. I imagine like you, they have multiple responsibilities because it's not like you're running a lot of traffic there, which is a good thing. You know, you don't want to run a lot of calls, but they need to be prepared to run the calls. Yes. And, but what else, what other responsibilities do they have on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So uh, my team, you know, my day-to-day team is made up of, you know, my boss um, who's also over warehouse safety for our entire Kentucky operation. Um, we have our security manager who is, um, my peer. And then, um, I've have a supervisor and a union employee that, uh, work with me to handle just the safety operation for us on a a day-to-day basis. And they help with kind of any of the emergency planning piece and, and that kind of stuff. And then we have, uh, about 30, uh, employees that work on, uh, our emergency response team. Uh, or our fire brigade right. or industrial fire brigade. Um, okay. And so that's the fire brigade, right? That's the right term. I was going to uh, say to you guys considered because you're a commercial and call, can I call you fire brigade? Yeah. Um, you know, we get called a lot of things. So whatever it is, as long as it's not <laughs> me, we'll, we'll be happy with it. But um, yeah, so these guys and gals are, are incredible. They, uh, they work their normal jobs and, um, they may run a bottling line or, or be making whiskey on the steel or, or rolling barrels or in our maintenance department. Uh, and we give them upwards of uh, 128 hours of training a year um, where we actually pull them off their jobs and we go out. And we do uh, live burns or hazmat techs, rope techs, uh, really confined space techs, uh, really anything that your local fire department can do. We we do out of here and um, we actually uh recently started training through the Kentucky State Fire Commission. So the same process and programs that our local fire departments go through, we we do the same here. There's um, a lot of places that uh, don't do that because of the OSHA standards and industrial fire brigade standards. Uh, they may just train to that instead of the local fire commission level. And and the reason we do that is, is actually um, so that we could better serve our communities, right? So um, when these guys and gals are off, off shift, we want them to be able to go out and provide a service to our local departments. Um, you know, a lot of us grew up on fire departments, and we understand that uh, finding volunteers in, in this day and age is, is very difficult. And so, we yes. want to make sure that we are um, giving our employees resources if they want to go out and volunteer in the community, that they have the ability to, to use the training that they're doing here. and put it directly to support their communities at home. So, um, but yeah, so 20, uh, 20 or about 30 uh, guys and gals that come out here and, and they do about 128 hours of training every year. And uh, you've really, you know, some of the the better firefighters that I've been around in, in you know, the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years around the, the fire service. So um, a lot of experience and uh, you know, they, they also can make a good whiskey still in their basement, I bet. So. Uh, <laughs> what uh what's the number one response you do i know or how, how many calls do you run on site on on prem uh, on a typical year and and what are your most prevalent calls i think yeah yeah so um really that anywhere probably between five and ten calls a month um and that's actually like getting called out so we would call out like a traditional uh volunteer fire department right we all have our radios and a page goes out and then they come off their job and they go get on the, the rig and, and they go to where they need to go. Um, but the majority of what we run is medical runs, right? Mm-hmm. So 
Um, just like everybody else, um, you know, we, we have some EMTs on site. Uh, we train everybody to a minimum of a EMR standard. So, um, you know, we're running up there and making sure that on a hot day, people um, are hydrated or, or whatever that, that problem would be. Um, you know, but, you know, we also do a lot of things that we traditionally wouldn't consider calls. We may pull somebody off their production line and they'll do rescue standby for a confined space. Yeah. or um, some plan, you know, some confined space planning, or um, if we're going to have a high risk issue like uh, hot work. So uh, we're going to be doing some welding in a, in a tank farm full of whiskey. Uh, we plan that out and we may pull the fire truck out and have them stand by, or uh, we have a large event here. We, you know, we may uh, set up a medical tent to, to stage that if anything were to happen. Um, so we have those resources right there. So um Yes, our call volume is not huge, um, but we also try to help our local departments too, right? So uh, we are in more of a rural setting, uh, you know, not so much the Claremont facility, but our Boston facility. Um, so there, there are some, uh, sometimes we can actually beat the local fire departments to calls directly off our property or surrounding. And when that happens, I like to give them a hard time. Uh, but, of course, uh, have to. you know, uh, so we'll, we'll go out and, you know, if there's car wrecks that are on or right near campus, we'll, uh, we, you know, we may support that or um, some kind of spill into a creek or a waterway that didn't come from campus. You know, we have the ability to help mitigate some of those effects or um, even some, you know, brush fires or, or stuff like that. You know, we'll, we'll come in and we'll mutual aid or we'll try to jump on it and get it put out before they get there. Right on. That sounds like it sounds like an interesting place to be, right? And um, 500 acres, so one station or multiple stations along on the property? Yeah, so um, we've got um, technically two stations here on this property. Okay. So uh, we're, we're kind of, we're pretty spread out. And then we have some satellite locations that we also help support. Uh, and then our Boston plant also has a station down. Uh, our It's in Boston, Kentucky. Not in right. I, I figured but, that. But I'm glad you said it, but I figured it was it, Boston, it's 12 Kentucky. miles down the road. So uh, we really treat that as kind of like a third station. So we all kind of train together and, and work together every day. And, and we rotate between plants if, if we need to. So, um, you know, we've, we've got a, you know, like an, a squirt, and a, an engine, and we've got a new brush truck on its way. And we have some incident command trailers and, and things like that. So, um, all of our plans go in with working with each other. So really, you know, three uh, stations that we, we most three stations, about. three stations, highly collaborative. Um, sounds like you have resource, you have the resources you need to, that they invest in you guys. It's you're telling me we do and the equipment and, that you have and the, the, the vehicles that you have. Yeah, no, we we're, we're very blessed. The, the company really sees uh, um, a benefit in, in that risk reduction piece, uh, for what we do. Right. So, um, fire is obviously our biggest thing. So, uh, you know, that that's just one thing that we do, but, uh, yeah, we, we have all the resources and all the equipment training we need. We're, we're very lucky. And, uh, I, I like to brag to everybody. And a lot of people really don't realize that is out of all the distilleries in, in the United States, there's only two of them. Uh, that have uh, industrial fire brigades with uh, fire trucks and, and that's us and, and Jack Daniels. So, um, okay. you know, a lot of people see the, the Jack Daniels uh, fire trucks on their commercials and stuff. But uh, if you come to our campus, uh, we have a fire truck too. So, Right. It's not just Jack Daniels. Jim Beam's got them too. Yeah. 
That's right. right. And and I, I can't say enough. There, the the people at Jack Daniels are, are so great. We we talk about collaboration and, and things sure. like that. And uh, you know, not only within our own company, but even with a competitor like Jack Daniels, you know, we we have a great relationship from with their health and safety teams and their fire brigades and and we're able to call and, and share information and, and do things like that. So that that's something that's very unique about our industry is that uh, even though we may be these huge competitors, we're um, really focused on helping each other out when it, when it comes to protecting our assets and our business and, and our, our people. So um, that's, that's pretty neat. That's, that is neat. That's terrific. And sounds like the Phoenix metro area where, you know, they have an automatic aid agreement and closest unit responds. And I know it's a little different, but as the culture, right, it sounds like you're competitors in the, in the business world, but you, you're also collaborators and for safety and your, your respective sites. And that's a lot, you know, a lot of what takes place up in the, the Phoenix metro area with the, you know, you had plenty of interdepartmental rivalry, but um, at the end of the day, they're going to be there to back each other up and help each other. So it sounds a lot like that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what else, what else didn't I ask you about what you do there, what the site's like, um, anything, any other interesting tidbits of information that you think the listeners or, or viewers would like to know about the, the Jim Beam site there? Um, you know, really, you know, I mentioned that uh, we're the original site since Prohibition. So that, that's something that's pretty unique uh, to our industry is that we're still using buildings and barrel warehouses um, that were built, you know, as late as 1935 here on this campus. Um, so that's really kind of a cool thing is that we've got buildings that are um, that old that are still in use for normal production operations all the way to, you know, a new warehouse that opened last week. So really uh, from a risk management standpoint, right, we're not going to have the, um, we really have to adjust our approaches based off of when buildings are built or um, what different building construction there was at certain times and things like that. So um, it's pretty neat. We get, we get to help some carry on our legacy, but um, you know, still kind of push things uh, forward and, and new tradition. Right. And, and we talk about that in the fire service a lot, right. Is, is how sure. we protect legacy, but still, um, you know, push innovation and new processes and things like that. And, and that's, that's very true in, in the distillery industry, right? So we get to do a lot of things that are cutting edge and, and leading technology, but still protecting, you know, the legacy that our master distillers um, family set, you know, all the way back to 1795. So that's, that's, that's really, right. Um, you know, we're, we're still putting and rolling up, rolling barrels and warehouses pretty much the same way they did um, before prohibition even started. And, and so we still get to do those legacy things. And that, that's probably the coolest part of, of this um, industry uh, is that we're able to do some of these legacy practices that have been going on for so long. But uh, then we also get to do these really cool technology things. And um, so it's, it's really cool. So not only do you respect the past, honor tradition, but some of what took place back then is still taking place now amidst all the modern technology that I'm sure goes into um, distilling, bottling, and distributing Jim Beam. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you or any of your listeners ever come on the site, you'll get to see a little bit of, of that whole process. So, um, even down to the yeast that we put in our bourbon, right. We're, we're still using the same yeast strain, uh, that we started using when we started up out of prohibition. Right. Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible. That's pretty cool. I know a couple of our, uh, 
client success, our, our director of client success and one of our client success managers had a, had the privilege of coming out there not too long ago. And that's how we got connected. And um, I thank them for that. And I know they had a good time. They, had, they found it extremely interesting as, as I would as well. So maybe someday I'll be able to get out there. Well, we're always welcoming. So anybody wants to stop by. <laughs> come, come as friends, leave as family, as you said, right? That's right. We've got some other expressions too, but I won't uh, put that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, the audience, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty bold here. So if you think it's appropriate, feel free to share it. So <laughs> what um, you had an incident not that long ago, and I know you can only share so much about it, you know, from, from a legal perspective, and I completely respect that, but what, uh, what can you share and what, what were some of those lessons learned? Uh, well, one, obviously, what took place, um, what kind of response, you know, on site and then for mutual aid and all of that kind of kind of go um, walk us through that, paint that picture for us. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've had a, a lot of in, incidents within the industry, not just with Jim Beam, but really the largest incident that probably you and your listeners are most familiar with is that we had a, a lightning strike cause a warehouse fire back in 2019. Uh, and really that was at our Frankfurt facility. So, uh, luckily, uh, my counterpart, Tony Eisen, uh, was responsible for that. So he had a lot, a lot worse day than I did, uh, that day for sure. But, uh, we were able to go down there and support that. And, uh, you know, just to paint a picture, we, this, uh, warehouse was built in the 1950s and it was right next to a Creek, right? So probably didn't take in the engineering controls that we, we put in today when we map out our sites and, um, when lightning struck it, it, it almost instantly collapsed a quarter of the building and was on wow. fire instantly. And, you know, we unfortunately lost 41,000 barrels of whiskey that day. Um, and, and the fire burnt for, for five days and, um, before oh, five we were days. able to, five days. How about, before ex- we, how about exposures? We, so you had that single, that single, um, single structure that it, did it spread to exposures? Yeah. So, uh, we actually, uh, the it's it's really uh, ironic, or I don't want to say ironic. Surprising that we didn't lose some other buildings there, right? So um, when that building caught on fire, there were actually four adjacent barrel warehouses that were relatively close, uh, and a security building and and a uh, uh, a brand new semi that had two hundred miles on it. Uh, oh. I mean, brand new. Um, I can tell you that. Semi no longer exists. It, it melted down to the frame. Um, but uh, it we did have some exposure issues, and and that's some of the learnings that we had that came out of there. But uh, it actually popped twenty nine sprinklers off in one of our adjacent warehouses that didn't catch on fire, uh, and they were masonry style brick buildings. So um, you know exposure control was was a huge issue there. Uh, but luckily we didn't lose any other buildings. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, really the the incident you know really showed the importance of having great relationships and uh training for your local departments and and making sure that you have really good engineering controls and and pm programs preventive maintenance programs and uh, to make sure that you you're checking your the right things and um you have good contracts in place with your private sector responders things that there's no way that a local fire department's going to be able to float barges in the middle of the Kentucky River uh, on a moment's notice to start aerating a river. I mean, th- those are things that really, um, you know, we may think are, you know, 
unrealistic, but you know, things that we saw happen. So, um, but yeah, so that, that event was, was very large and, and very unfortunate, but we were also very fortunate that we had great relationships with our first responders and that we had a, a great team on the tank, on the ground, um, that had fire experience background, right. Um, that understood that, Hey, we need to stop flowing water on this, uh, fire to, and making it worse. Right. So, um, when we first said that, that was a lot of surprise for, for people when, when Tony made that decision uh, and went to the local fire chief and was like, hey, I know this thing's burning out of control, but we need to start putting water on our exposures and, and sure. Let it burn, the wet yeah. stuff on the red stuff, right? Um, yep. Because we're just putting more stuff in. And then um, some more crazy looks when we said we don't want to put foam on it, right? Because then we had to figure out how we were going to dispose of, of that chemical ride or look at wow, what yeah. kind of impact it's going to have to our environment. So that was um, a really valuable thing. And, and really that experience that Tony had to make that decision was, uh, was incredible and, and really helped, helped us manage that scene a lot better and, and prevent, you know, any further impacts to the environment. So, um, but we also had great private sector partners that were able like a, said to handle some of those environmental impacts as quickly as they did. And um, yeah, so I, I could talk about this incident all day. Um, no, this is good. Keep talking. Cause this is, so you had, you had the local fire departments, the the municipal fire department, you had obviously the Jim Beam fire department there. Um, obviously uh, you had, you were putting water on it, but you're putting water on a, on a flammable liquid basically. And right. just agitating it, you know, basically making it worse. You don't want to put foam on it. So you just decided to let it rapidly evaporate through by the fire, basically 41,000 barrels. Yeah. Yeah. So we just built up burns of, of sand around it and started to let it burn off because it was the best thing that we could do for the environment. Right. It was right. At that point, you're doing complete combustion and most of your ash burning materials are gone within the first few hours. And so you just let the liquid burn off and you know, you, you're doing a really good, good thing there. It make it makes sense in the sense that otherwise you'd have just a giant mess of foam and all, you know, and, and whiskey, right. Bourbon and, and foam that you'd have to clean up. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It's not, it goes, it runs counter to what you well, runs counter to what you initially did because we want to put the fire out, right. That's our, that's our mindset is just, let's get the fire out. But sometimes the best thing to do is especially if you're protecting exposures and no injuries, no loss of life, right? In this, this incident, no, no injuries, no loss of life. That's we, a win. That's we, a win we're, right? It's a win. A win. Uh, we, we have an expression. We never lost a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, we, the, we did lose a building and, and unfortunately we lost those 41,000, you know, barrels of, of whiskey, but um, you know, and there were some, some environmental impacts, but we were able to, to do everything that we could uh, and be proactive and, and, you know, really take those learnings and, and take a bad experience like we had in, in uh, 2019 uh, and build off some of the learnings that we did when we had another lightning strike burned down a warehouse in Bardstown in 2003 and um, implement that into some risk assessments and, and really going through and uh, looking at ways that we mitigate risk from an engineering standpoint, right? So, um, yeah, we still build our warehouses out of wood and, and those types of things, but we really changed the spacing on, on our warehouses because of that, on our new builds. And we looked at berming and containment to make sure that we didn't have um, increased risks to the environment. And 
Um, probably one of the favorite things that we've done is we started to mount uh, 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 deck guns on hydrants, if you will, right? So monitors on hydrants. Um, okay. So uh, I tell my local fire departments and my guys and gals here at the uh, Jim Bean that my goal when we go to these sites is I don't want to drop any hose, right? We're going to do everything we can from the hydrant. So um, it, that's kind of a, a neat thing. And, um, you know, we have our own water systems and pumps and, and those kinds of say, things. Yeah, your water site. system, your, your yeah, wa- we, good we water can system. Some water. <laughs> well, you're well hydranted. We are, we are. And uh, so, you know, there's a, a lot of really good things, even where we put our PIVs in relationship to the buildings. Uh, um Something, you know, that was reported in the news that uh, the fire at the Frankfurt uh, location was so hot, it actually melted the lights and the paint off of a couple of the fire apparatuses that were responding from the local volunteer fire departments. And if you just imagine the heat coming off of of that building, um, you know, it's it's an ethanol fire, right? It's um, it's, it's what it is. And so uh, um, being able to put those in positions for us to easily access them and be able to shut off water and not work against ourselves. Um, a, a lot of really good learnings. And then the other piece of this um, that I, I think is really important and, and something that I've been able to partner with um, the chief of uh, Pleasure, Pleasure Ridge Park Fire Department and uh, local uh, suburban fire department in Metro Louisville um, is we've actually been able to develop uh, incident response training for um, fire departments across the Commonwealth. Um, a lot of people don't realize how big the, the bourbon industry is is growing. Um, and we feel like that's a service that we can provide based off our learnings on, on how to develop strategy and tactics to respond to uh, incidents within the bourbon industry, right? So um, just to show the growth, you know, prior to 2009, there were about 32 uh, distillation licenses in the Commonwealth. Now we're above 95. Uh, oh, wow. So it's, it's a huge increase year over year over the amount of distilleries. Um, and a lot of the distilleries aren't blessed as we are to have, you know, such a great, um, as enough capital to invest and go in and do these types sure. of things, right? They're sure. small companies, small uh, mom and pop distilleries. So um, we think it's a great thing that we're able to do is to go out and educate, whether it's our local distillers through our distiller safety professionals organization or KDA, Kentucky Distillers Association, and talk to them about risk management and how to prevent fires and those types of things, um, but also go out through our local fire departments and support them with some training, um, some education on responding to these types of emergencies. And a lot of the learnings and things that we did out of whether it's the 2009 fire or some incidents that our competitors have had or um, incidents uh, from ours in the past, um, we were able to use that and, and train and, and really build off that experience. So, um, yeah, that, that's probably the coolest work that we've been able to do since, since that happened. So a lot of good lessons learned, a lot of, a lot of, um, lessons, not just learned, but applied after the fact, did any of the fire journals pick this story up and, and do anything in, in any of the fire journals, firehouse, fire engineering, any of those? Um, I don't know, uh, if they did. And, and that may be on me to, to be honest, uh, just not doing the research. Uh, you know, I, I turned on CNN the, the next morning and uh, I saw uh, my counterpart, 
on CNN, and and I realized that this was a pretty big story. So pretty so, big story, uh, sure it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, that we lived it for so long. I don't, I don't know if I went through it. No doubt. Well, the size of the fire, right? The size was one thing, but it's an interesting fire because of where it took place, what 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 burned, right? And it's you know, it's just it's a story. It's certainly a, an interesting story. And and that's really a, kind of a an interesting piece of this, right? Because um, it's it's something that's happening to our brand and the media is so interested in, and uh, that is probably uh, one of the big lessons that we learned is how do we handle um, all the media requests and how then we marry that with our local emergency management team. Right. So Mm -hmm. everybody wanted to get close, everybody, you know, everybody wanted to figure out what happened and, and those types of things, which, which I agree with, like, this is an impact to our communities people want to know what's going on. And, you know, we're, we're using all of these resources that are tied up in our community. So um, I absolutely, the, the people have the right to know what's going on, but being able to streamline that communication and work together on a media plan with our public sector partners was yeah. so important to us um, to just make sure that we're getting all the right information out, the good information out, um, you know, these brands are, are part of our community. So we want to make sure that we're representing them in a, in a good way as well. So, I mean, you're a target hazard. I mean, you're a target hazard in the sense that if, if it goes South, you're going to be impacting hundreds of people, their livelihoods. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a big deal, not just environmentally and from a fire perspective or loss perspective, um, but also, well, loss for the, you know, if you had something substance, even more substantive that took out the plant, you know, that's uh you know, that's affecting a lot of people's livelihoods. And so, yeah, that's going to be an interesting story. And from a media perspective, you know, my days as, as a PIO, I never had an incident of, of quite like that. But did um, did you work now? Were you responsible for, I mean, I know it wasn't at your specific site, but would you have been responsible to be the face of the company? Or do you have a corporate corporate media relations that that step up and and do it? But luckily, we have a, a company communications team. So um, they're great folks. Um, so, uh, they are involved in that and they've actually been involved in some of our planning. So, uh, as we build our, our plans in the future, you know, it's, we, we include them and we really, when we take a emergency action planning piece, we look at this as we, you would when you plan in the community, right? So you look at your incident command structures and who's going to be your public relations officer, right? Who's going to be your operations officer? Um, you know, so that's, really the same approach that we take from this standpoint. And then, um, you know, also, you know, we look at a lot of the business continuity pieces. So, you know, we, we look at ways to make sure that if there's a huge impact to the business, how do we mitigate that? Um, and we do that from how we put barrels in warehouses. So making sure we don't put all the same whiskey in the same warehouse, uh, all the way down to, you know, where we store our yeast and, and those types of things. So, um, even having the ability to make uh, the whiskey at uh, our side and, and at our other distillery 12 miles down the road. So um, yeah, business continuity is a huge piece of this. Huge. Yes. Yeah, huge. It's fascinating. I've, I'm, I am completely engrossed with what you've talked about today. It's been, uh, it's been extremely interesting. I hope it's been as interesting for our listeners and viewers as it is, as it has been for me, just understanding and kind of, you painted good pictures. I'm visualizing, right. As best as I can, I'm visualizing, what took place, you know, and then even just the non-emergent, what you're doing day to day, you know, how it's, it's a lot of similarities to what we do 
in a traditional fire department, but a lot of differences as well when you're focused on the business at the business of of uh, a bourbon at Jim Beam. You've got uh, lots of responsibilities to keep that keep that business going and keep everybody safe and healthy and and uh, the, the 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 site also um, you know uh, safe and meeting all the well you guys have so much compliance that you have to adhere to you know that from all the osha regulations that you have to deal with so it's a pretty it's a pretty big mission that you have there yeah it it is but you know it's gratifying work it's good work it's um you know i I feel like we're actually making a difference for our employees and and for our community and um you know really being able to support the uh the work that really the the people that came before us did here um, to make this uh, what started out, started out as a very small brand in 1795, and um, and then being able to to support and, and help protect that legacy piece um, is really important uh, to the, to what we do here. And um, no, it, it's great work, and and you know I'm I'm proud to to brag about where I work and and the things that we do, and and really uh, you know I'm more proud of the work that the guys and gals on, on our teams, whether it's making whiskey or on our fire brigade or, you know, Chris and uh, or the supervisor on my team and Paul, you know, the work that they do, um, you know, it's, it's really cool. And, and we have a lot of great partnerships, whether it be with local universities and engineering firms or, you know, uh, environmental protection companies or um, the national guard or emergency management, you know, it's, it's great things. And, you know, being able to support even things that happen outside the company, whether it's the local flooding that that we had in Eastern Kentucky, where we were sending tankers of water um, to to Eastern Kentucky to to help support them to get through until FEMA could get everything on the ground, or making huge donations and going down to support after tornadoes in in Western Kentucky this year. Um, you know, being able to be a, kind of a cog in that wheel to to help support that is is really great so good being a good corporate citizen yeah i mean really that's that's what it's all about right we 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 all live in these communities and and we want to support them the best that we can and um that's that's amazing and and we really want to be good partners here and and we do our best to do that that's awesome you can tell you enjoy what you do You, you comes across you're conveying your passion for what you do yeah that and i really like whiskey so (laughs) That helps, right? Oh, that's, that's right. Awesome. Man, you make me want to come visit. So listen, Tate Preston, I'm really grateful to you uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to kind of share your story there at the Jim Beam site and uh, what you do and how it's similar yet still has a lot of differences than what a traditional uh, fire and life safety department would have to do. And for sharing the story about the lightning strike in 2019, uh, this has been a great conversation. I'm, I'm really grateful to you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And before I let you go, I have to ask you one question, right? So you've been asking me these questions. I, I got to know what's your favorite cocktail. Oh my gosh, my favorite cocktail. I, I'll tell you something that I just enjoy is is a good good single malt scotch neat. Hey, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Our, our master distiller has a, a saying uh, when people ask him the best way to, to enjoy whiskey, uh, he tells them any damn way you please. So uh, as, as long as you enjoy it and, and you drink responsibly, we're, we're happy. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I'm a, I like a double basil on the rock. So, uh, okay. uh, basil Hayden. So that's, that's my tip of the day. Nice. Okay. What is it? Say that again. Uh, basil Hayden. 
a Basil Hayden. Okay, I have to look at that. And I will uh, I will look at Jim Beam a little differently now. Now that I know you, it has you know more of a special meaning. So um, I'll enjoy g- giving the giving it a try. Sounds good. Well, I, again, I appreciate you guys taking the time, and then thank you for what you do, and and thank you for what your listeners do to support their communities. It's it's so. Important. Oh, I appreciate that. It's really kind, and uh, thank you, Tate, for spending time with me today, and uh, look forward to our paths connecting again in the future. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right. You too. Cheers. Cheers.